And uh, so we're studying the life of David. And we're at the second, in 2 Samuel chapter 9, Grace in a Barren Place. Lofton Hudson is a prolific writer, and he um, has written several books. He's also a Christian counselor. I had a, an opportunity one time of sitting in on a counseling session with a young man, and Lofton Hudson hypnotized this young man and, and did some psychiatric therapy with him. It was one of the most interesting experiences I've ever had in my life. But Lofton Hudson was... Um, counseling this guy, and, and, and he was pretty, uh, the, 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 the counselee was pretty negative about the Christian life and the Christian faith and about organized religion, really. And he said, he used all these terms that are irrelevant and out of date and nobody understands. And Lofton Hudson said, now, I really wonder if that's really true. He said, let me just do a little word association with you. So he began to use some of these terms that we throw out and you know we are some of the verbiage of our uh, of, of, of the uh, modern Christianity and he came to this word grace he said what does what does the word grace make you think of and the guy smiled and said a blue-eyed blonde and Lofton Hudson thought that's not a bad you know wouldn't wouldn't be a bad title for a book and the 11th book he wrote he titled grace is not a blue-eyed blonde. And in this book, he, he talks about what grace really is. He says this, Grace is what happens between two persons. It is one giving himself to the other, responsible to the other, a distinctive self-kind of relating. In a world where men are turning their back on one another, killing one another, and gossiping about one another, grace is one person accepting and confronting another person in freedom and responsibility. We use that word for a lot of things, grace. We talk about a ballerina having grace, and we mean she has coordination. And we talk about saying grace before meals. That's prayer. And when we say that a woman is a graceful person, we mean that she is dignified and elegant. But we seldom use the word, or is it found biblically, believe it or not. But occasionally, as you go through the Bible, you just happen upon some marvelous illustration or picture of grace. That's what we have in chapter 9 of 2 Samuel. I believe that it is, one, it is the best illustration of grace in the Old Testament. It just opens up like a flower, this marvelous picture of grace. And it has to do with a man who's, if you have uppers, you know, it's hard to say his name, Mephibosheth. Now, the last time that we um, looked at David, last Sunday night, it was in a period of uh, kind of an interlude in his life, peaceful time. He was just kind of in reflection. It's where he is tonight. It's a time of, it's an interlude. It's a time where David's doing some reflecting in his, in, 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 and he comes upon this express moment and he's looking back over his life. And he remembers Jonathan, his best friend, and his love for Jonathan, 
the deepest kind of human love, one man for another. He'll never have a friend like him. And he remembers his predecessor, Saul, and he's reflecting upon Saul and Jonathan and upon the promises he has made to them. Now pick up with me in verse 1. Then David said, Is there yet anyone left of the house of Saul that I may show him kindness? Now I want you to underline that word, kindness, because it does not mean a soft tenderness. It really is a word that means mercy or grace. So underline that word, and if you want to put it out in the margin, is there anybody left in the house of Saul to whom I can show grace, mercy, kindness, is the word translated in the New American Standard. Now, I need to give us a definition of grace. Grace is not a blue-eyed blind. Grace is the positive acceptance of another in spite of the other. Grace is the positive acceptance of another in spite of the other. Grace, are you getting this? Grace is a demonstration of love that is not deserved and can never be repaid. It is a demonstration of love that can never be repaid and is definitely not deserved. Is there anyone to whom I can show unsolicited and undeserved love? Why did he want to do that? Because of the promises he has made to Jonathan and to Saul. Now we need to look at those promises. So put your finger in the place here and turn back to 1 Samuel chapter 20. 1 Samuel chapter 20, and the verse is 13 where we begin to read. Everybody needs to turn to that. If you don't have a Bible, it's going to be difficult. 1 Samuel chapter 20, verse 13. Kevin has his Bible. If it please my father to do you harm, may the Lord do so to you, Jonathan, and more also, if I do not make it known to you and send you away that you may go in safety. And may the Lord be with you as he, was, as he has been with my father. Now here's this. Jonathan's talking to David. And if I am still alive, will you not show me the loving kindness, the grace, the mercy of the Lord that I may not die, and you shall not cut off your loving kindness from my house forever? Now, let me give you the background there. In that eastern dynasty, when a new king took over, the family of the old king was exterminated. I mean, put out. They were, they were all killed so that they would not be, uh, you know, they would not be the threat of an insurrection or rebellion from that house. And so Jonathan is aware that one day David's going to be king and he's asking for grace, for loving kindness, that he be spared. Um... Will you show me my, in my family grace? The second promise is 1 Samuel chapter 24, verse 20. It was a promise that David made to Saul. Now, read with me at verse 20. Now, this is a remarkable thing because Saul is now king and he knows David's going to be one day take his place. And he says, And now, behold, I know you shall surely be king... 
and that the kingdom of Israel shall be established in your land. So now swear to me by the Lord that you will not cut off my descendants after me, and you will not destroy my name from my father's household. And David swore to Saul. Now, it's not a matter of being um, worthy or qualified. David is saying, is there anybody that I need can show mercy, uh, unqualified acceptance, and unconditional mercy. That's what David desires to, ex to express, to give. All right, back to the text. And now there was a servant in the house of Saul whose name was Ziba. And they called him to David, and the king said to him, Are you Ziba? He said, I am your servant. And the, and the king said, Is there not yet anyone of the house of Saul to whom I may show the grace of God? And Ziba, now, now remember what we're, by the way, I need to say again that the New Testament gives us the principles of Christianity and the Old Testament gives us the pictures of it. And what he's going to do, what God is doing in a marvelous way prior to the New Testament, he's giving us a picture of what his grace involves, what it's like, what it means, what it is. Is there anybody that I can show the grace of God? And Ziba said to the king, There is still a son of Jonathan who is crippled in both feet. Now, I don't know how you read that. This is how I read that. I, I, I sense, I feel a little counsel there from Ziba. This is what he's saying in essence. I want to paraphrase it like I think he's saying it. Now, well, there is a man, but, but you need to think twice before you, you know, before you do anything with him because the guy's a cripple. Cripple in both feet. Now, really... You know, you can kind of feel, he say, in essence, he's saying, oh, really, David, he just doesn't fit in here, you know. I mean, he's just not kind you know, king's material. And, and the kid, you know, he's crippled, he's a young man, but he's, he's deformed, and he just doesn't fit in, and he doesn't carry himself in the, in the, in the manner and in the, in the, in the, like a king would do it. He's just not the kind of folks that we really want. And, 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 great, and, and, and David, you know, he said, he said, well, where is he? And he doesn't ask questions about, you know, how bad is he? Or, you know, what, is, what, well, what does he look like? Tell me more about him. Or, you know, how, how, how did it happen? Because grace isn't picky. It operates apart. It's the unconditional accept, acceptance. It's a, it acts apart from the acceptability of the individual. Aren't you glad? And we say, where is this guy? And Ziba said, well, he's down in low debar. Now, that's an interesting word, and all of it fits together in the puzzle. Watch this. The word low means no in the Hebrew, and the word debar means pasture. He's down there in the no pasture land. He's out there in the, unbear the place of unbearable desolation. He's out there in the wilderness. This guy is crippled in both feet, and he's out there in this barren wasteland where he's hiding. Now, what we're drawing here is a picture of a man who is, in a, in a little bit, as we get to the, to, to the zinger here, is a person who is the recipient of all that, that the king has, and he has nothing that is worthy of that. When, when he's found, he's out in this barrenness where most of us are when God finds us, right? 
Now, I, you probably, if you're interested in it at all, you're probably, you know, in your mind, say, well, how did the guy get crippled? Well, let me, let me just do, let's just back up and digress a minute. I'm going to show you how he got crippled because it, it certainly is a beautiful picture. We're going to tie it all together if you can just hang on for a little bit. Turn back to the fourth chapter of 1 Samuel chapter, I mean, 2 Samuel chapter 4, verse 4. Now, look at here. It says, just four chapters back. Now, Jonathan, Saul's son, had a son crippled in his feet. He was five years old when the report of Saul and Jonathan came from Jezreel, that they had been slaughtered. You remember that from past study. And his nurse took him up and fled. They're getting out of there because they knew, you know, they know how it's going to operate. They're going to exterminate all the family that's left. And it happened that in her hurry to flee, she fell, or he fell from her arms and became lame. And his name was Mephibosheth. That's how he got crippled. Now watch carefully. The last thing this man wanted to see out there in that barren hiding place was an emissary from David. One day they showed up. Carl Menninger has a book called Vital Balance. And in this book, he talks, he says that there are some negative people They're people whose personality says no to everything. They are critical. They never never experience any extravagance. They never take a chance. They're pessimistic. They're insecure. And they're suicidal. And he tells his story. He said that one day um, Thomas Jefferson, President Jefferson, Thomas Jefferson and an entourage had come to this water that was swollen and this river that was swollen out of its banks. And some people, Thomas Jefferson and the others, were taking folks across the river on horses. And this man came up to Thomas Jefferson, President Jefferson, and said, would you take me across? He said, sure, hop on. He put him on the back of his horse, took him across the river. When he got on the other side, one of his friends said, why did you ask the President of the United States to take you across the river? He said, I didn't know that was the President of the United States. He said, I saw in the faces of some of those men the word no. And I saw in the faces of some of those men the word yes. I saw in the face of that man, bigger than my hand, the word yes. Now here is this man, Mephibosheth. He's destined to death out in this barren land hiding. And all of a sudden, this man comes with the word yes written across his face. The word grace there. A man who is going to restore him to everything that his father had. Lavish upon him everything the king possesses. He looked up one day and he saw the face of a man who had yes written all over it. It's a picture of God. Now... I'm just going to read from verse 5 all the way to the end of the chapter, and then I want us to draw some analogy, and we'll be through here. Then the, house of, then, then the king David sent and brought him to the house of Machir, the son of Amiel, from Lodabar. Mephibosheth, the son of Jonathan, the son of Saul, came to David, fell on his face, prostrated himself. And David said, Mephibosheth, he said, here is your servant. And David said to him, Do not fear, this yes is on his face. For I will surely show grace to you. Look, 
for the sake of your father Jonathan and will restore you all the land of your grandfather Saul and you shall eat at my table regularly. Now how about them? How about them apples? You talk about hitting the jackpot. I mean, Ed McMahon could not, couldn't beat that. And again, he prostrated himself. Now watch this. He says, what is your servant that you should regard? that belong to Saul, all his house, I've given to, my, to your master's grandson. And you and your sons and your servants will cultivate the land for him. And you shall bring in the produce so that your, father, your master's grandson may have food. Nevertheless, Mephibosheth, your master's grandson, shall eat at my table regularly. Now, Ziba had 15 sons and 20 servants. Now, I don't know why in the world he shot that in there, except he wanted us to say, he, this guy's going to be well taken care of. I mean, Zeba's whole house is going to wait on this one guy. Then, then Zeba said to the king, According to all that my lord the king commands his servant, so your servant will do. So Mephibosheth ate at David's table as one of the king's sons. And Mephibosheth had a young son whose name was Micah. Now all who lived in the house of Zeba were servants to Mephibosheth. So Mephibosheth lived in Jerusalem, for he ate at the king's table regularly. Watch this. Boom. Now, he was lame in both feet. I want you to try to picture with me tonight what it was like sitting at the king's table. It's, it's dinner time, and they come down for dinner, and there's Amnon, this young, vital man. He's clever. The, the, the biographer says of Amnon that he had this tremendous sense of humor. He was full of life. There's Joab, kind of a kind of a uh, Arnold Schwarzenegger, rough, and tanned, and muscular, a man's man. There was Tamar, beautiful, and elegant, and graceful. And there's Solomon, he just, you know, they like, drug him out of the study, got an intellectual, brilliant man. There's this family sitting at the table, and all of a sudden you hear this clump, clump, clump. Here comes this cripple, sits down. In that environment, some sage said that the supper, that the that the uh, tablecloth covered his feet, like the mercy of God covering our sins. Now there are five or six or seven analogies, and I want you to write these down. I want you to go home with this. I want you to get this this the picture here. I see some analogies here, beautiful analogies. Now remember what we're doing tonight is showing us. Showing us a picture of what God's grace is like. A, a demonstration, a, a picture, a, 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 an illustration of grace. Number one. Once Mephibosheth enjoyed fellowship with his father uninterrupted. And so did man. Adam dwelt in a garden of innocency and he knew fellowship with God like no other man has ever known. Second. When disaster and fear came, the nurse fled, and Mephibosheth fell and was crippled. When sin came and the disaster of, of fear, we began to hide, just like, just like they did, fled out into the wilderness to hide. And when sin came, we began to hide, and man began, became a spiritual cripple. Third analogy. David, out of sheer love for Jonathan, demonstrated grace for a cripple. And God 
out of sheer love for his son, demonstrated grace to a spiritual cripple. Me, you. Four. The cripple had nothing, and he deserved nothing. In fact, he didn't even try to gain the king's favor. So that man has nothing, and he deserves nothing. And when God found us, we were hiding from him. I tell you, man didn't sought for God. You, you hear that? I look, I sought for God. God sought for man, and he just responded to that search. For when God found us, we were hiding in our sin. Five. David restored Mephibosheth from the place of barrenness to the place of honor, from the hiding place to the place of plenty. And so did God do that for us, restored us from barrenness. What did you, what was it like when the Lord found you? It was a barren life. There was nothing there, right? Six, David adopted him into his family. And he said to him, everything I have is yours. I'm going to take care of you. Every believer tonight has been adopted into the family of God. And what has happened is that God has said, this is yours. Everything my son possesses, you possess. Everything that I own is yours. I I adopt you into my family. Seventh. The cripple's limp was a constant reminder of grace. Every time he limped, he was reminded, I'm here because of the grace of the king. And every time I deal with sin, I'm reminded of grace. Finally, number eight. I love it. When Mephibosheth sat down at the table, he was treated like any other son. Can you imagine what it's going to be like when we sit down at the supper table of the father? And there's going to be, you know, Abraham and, and Moses and Elijah. Charlie Howard said, when I get to heaven, I'm going to tell Elijah about a few Jezebels that got after me and sent me running. You know, Martin Luther, uh, John Wesley, Calvin, you know, all of them are there. And, you know, you know the, watch this. The amazing thing about it all is... That we'll be there and there'll be no difference between you and me and them. We'll all be the same. God's sons. He wants you to come tonight to his table. He wants to show you loving kindness, unqualified acceptance, and undeserved mercy. Is there one tonight? would like to say, I, I, have, I'm, I'm, I have nothing to offer to the Lord except this broken life. I want to come tonight to give my heart and life to Jesus Christ. God accepts you just as you are, makes you something brand new. Grace is God's response to you in spite of you. A demonstration of love that is not deserved can never be repaid. There may be some tonight who need to come and join the church. And, and, and maybe, you know, to rededicate your life. Isn't it wonderful to know that God loves us and accepts us and forgives us? and He just wants to pour His grace upon us in abundant measure. The only thing 
The only limit to what He'll do for you is the, is the limit you place upon Him. So we're going to have an invitation. It sounds like, what is that song? Have Thine Own Way. Sounds like Have Thine Own Way. And we're going to give an invitation, three stanzas, and then we're going, going, going to leave. So, oh, I want you to come tonight and get, get this all squared away with God, whatever it is, between you and Him, between your decision concerning the church or rededication of young people, adults. Do it while we stand to sing. Come on.